0: Welcome to the podcast, Amazing Tales from Off and On, Connecticut's Beaten Path, and I'm your host, Mike Allen. Well, This week we say happy 100th birthday to the radio industry in Connecticut because the very first AM radio station in the state began broadcasting in 1922. Our guest is remarkably well-first in the topic of Connecticut radio because Brandon Camp has produced 10 documentaries showcasing the history of radio in the state and they're chock-full of tapes from the old days from on air. He'll be here to share some highlights with us in just a moment. This week's trivia question, when river pollution was at its very worst in Connecticut, which river was considered the most heavily polluted of them all? We'll have the answer for you after the program, as well as a look at the topic for next week's episode. Coming up, radio in Connecticut turns 100.
1: I'm Kathy Hermes
0: with Connecticut Explored Magazine. In print and in our podcast, Grating the Nutmeg, we bring you fresh, fascinating, and inspiring stories of the people and places in Connecticut. If
1: you're a regular listener to Amazing Tales, we know you'll love our podcast. Interviews with authors, historians, and changemakers co-hosted by the state historian emeritus and
0: the publishers of Connecticut Explored. Available wherever you get your podcasts and at ctexplored.org. Check it out. Well, those of you who know me well already know that I spent about a dozen years as a news director and a reporter at several Connecticut radio stations. And this was many moons ago, I should say, in the 1970s and the 80s, as an industry and a technology, radio played a critical role in developing the United States. It replaced telegraph service, and for that, you needed, of course, to have wires strung up between telephone poles in order to send and receive telegraph messages. Radio was wireless, and life would never be the same. So you could take your radio with you no matter where you were, didn't need a wire, and you could get entertainment, news, weather reports, everything you needed. And for many years, radio was the go-to medium if your power went out at home. you Just grab your portable AM transistor radio and tune in to hear what was causing the outage, how widespread it was, and of course, most importantly, when the power would be back on. And radio still serves officially as the emergency broadcast system during emergencies. Eventually, of course, television came along and knocked off radio as the king of broadcasting, and even more recently, we get all of our alerts and news and even entertainment on our cell phones. Well, despite all of the technological competition, radio remains a key part of our lives, particularly during what we call drive time in the industry, that period before and after work when you drive to the office or back home from it and you want to get caught up on the day's events and happenings. Well, our guest today has documented the 100 years of Connecticut radio in a series of 10 documentaries that you can find on YouTube. Each documentary is an hour and a half long, meaning 15 hours of documentary work. Brandon Camp painstakingly listened to hours and hours and hours of past radio clips and interviewed more than a 100 people, and it took him 10 years to finish the project, a production for WWUH Radio, the University of Hartford-based radio station. Well, the result is the most complete audio documentary ever compiled on the 100-year history of radio in Connecticut. I want to take this moment to tip my cap to you for the unbelievable work you did over many, many years interviewing more than 100 people to get the history of Connecticut radio documented in this uh, actual series of documentaries that's available on YouTube. And you've got 10 documentaries, an hour and a half each, 15 hours. It's just incredible. Anybody with an interest in Connecticut radio has to look this up on YouTube, the history of Connecticut radio.
1: I don't know if you ever saw it, but CPTV, Connecticut Public Television, had a documentary called You're on the Air which was about the early history of Connecticut TV stations. They found some ar- archival video of Channel 8 and Channel 30 and Channel 3 and interviewed some of the hosts that were still around and and I thought that was really interesting and it occurred to me, gee, I wonder if anybody's ever done anything like that with Hartford Radio and I couldn't find any evidence that anybody had, so I thought, well, maybe that would be something I could do. Maybe I could get some archival audio and and it was originally just going to be limited to Hartford stations. But what happened is I would interview somebody and say, oh, you know, you got to talk to this guy. And then I'd talk to somebody else. And they said, say, oh, you got to talk to this lady. She did this, uh, you know, at this station in New Haven and stuff. And pretty soon, I kind of got out of control. And after I had interviewed, I think I got to like 120 people. And I said, if I don't stop, I'm never going to finish this thing. But then it took me years more to edit it all down to 15 hours.
0: Connecticut has quite a history. It's now a century old of history with with radio stations. What are the two or three oldest ones? I guess it's uh, Hartford mainly, DRC and TIC?
1: TIC started in 1925, and WDRC started under different call letters, WPAJ, in 1922.
0: And PAJ actually started in New Haven, didn't it?
1: It started in New Haven. A guy named Franklin Doolittle, who was a radio pioneer, started it in the back of his, I guess he had sort of an electronics shop. He had it there. And I believe in 1925, the call letters changed to WDRC for Doolittle Radio Corporation.
0: So let's talk about this guy, Franklin Doolittle, a little bit, because uh, I found out about Frank Doolittle listening to this, and I did not know the story of Frank Doolittle as well as I should have. And so kudos to you. He was born, I guess, 1890s in New Haven, went to Yale, was a ship to shore operator on transatlantic ships during the summers at Yale. And here's a guy who had been, you know, through his intelligence, following Marconi and realizing that, wireless telegraph was coming into vogue, and he truly was. I mean, you described him as a pioneer. Let's give him his uh, his credit and his due. He uh, really brought radio to Connecticut. Would you agree?
1: I think that would be correct. Really, it was the early 1920s when radio stations started to come into being. Previous to that, you know, radio was used by the government, by the military, ship-to-shore operators from passenger vessels and things like that. But It was really in the 1920s that the whole idea of broadcasting came about, where people would have radios in their houses and they'd listen to music and other entertainment over the radio. He was one of the first in Connecticut. His station still survives today, so it's really the oldest, is WDRC. I think he really was a pioneer. The original station was on AM, but he was also involved in some of the original experiments with Major Edwin Armstrong with FM.
0: Well, this is important because Armstrong was the guy who invented FM, and it turns out both he and Doolittle are friends, and it was Armstrong who convinced Doolittle to go up onto Meriden Mountain and uh, put together a 2,000-watt transmitter, which was the first FM station in Connecticut to broadcast, and it's an incredible story. Could you tell us the part about how they got the power wire up to Meriden Mountain?
1: Oh, yes. What happened is Armstrong, having been, you know, a, a radio operator on ships and things like that, I'm guessing he must have had some contacts with the Coast Guard or the Navy because he was able to arrange for the Coast Guard to come up to Meriden Mountain and use something called a breacher's buoy, which is like a, I guess it's like a cannon that you would attach to a line, and in this case, you were attaching wire the antenna wire, and shoot it up the side of the mountain to get it up there.
0: It's just an amazing story. So they they shoot this thing up to the top of Meriden Mountain, and anybody who's been there knows it's quite a steep cliff, and then they were able to start the transmitter from there. And this was the beginning of WDRC-FM, although it had some other call letters before that, but that was really the beginning of FM Radio in Connecticut.
1: You have to remember at the time, the whole idea of FM was to get around Some of the problems with AM radio, because AM radio, while it can go farther, for example, at night, you can hear AM signals from hundreds of miles away or whatever, but AM radio is susceptible to the sounds of lightning and electrical disturbances and stuff like that. You get all this static, you know, if you're trying to listen to a distant distant signal, whereas FM radio doesn't have the range typically, but it's static free. The problem is is that initially not many people had fM radios, everybody had AM radios, and then there were all kinds of turf wars about what kind of radios were going to pick up what, and you know big corporations were involved and things like that you know and obviously a m didn 't want to become obsolete by having fm around
0: I remember installing my first converter in my vw bug. It was uh, quite an experience. Some pretty impressive names have gone through some Connecticut radio stations, and and one that I think everybody knows and, and may not know this gentleman came from Connecticut, but Hogan of Hogan's Heroes, Bob Crane, spent some time here, did he
1: not? That's right. Bob Crane, I believe he was born and grew up in Connecticut, possibly in Waterbury. And I believe he was at a couple stations in Connecticut. But the place where he really made a big name for himself was at WICC in Bridgeport, which is the high-powered AM station in Bridgeport that has a really great signal.
0: You're absolutely right. He did grow up in Waterbury. So uh, he's a Connecticut guy, done well, and turned down some offers until he got a really good one from the number two market in the country out in LA went out there and Hogan's Heroes came after that. There was Dick Robinson who was at DRC and he went on to start a school that I think everybody has heard of at one point or another because they advertise a lot or at least used to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Uh, What can you tell me about Dick?
1: Dick Robinson, I believe, grew up in Massachusetts and he had worked at a station and they gave him an opportunity to choose other stations in their company that he wanted to go with and he decided he wanted to go to WDRC in Hartford because he had heard about WDRC Dick Robinson you know not only being a great DJ disc jockey he also i think had a, what would you call it like a business sense right and he decided that he could start this Connecticut School of Broadcasting to teach people who would be interested into getting into the radio business. And that would have been probably 63, 64 when he did that. There were a lot of people that went through CSB and went on to some pretty big careers in radio.
0: One of the reasons people had heard about DRC was a guy named Charlie Parker. Parker came out of the Navy as well, as a matter of fact, had been a Morse code operator. And He got into uh, radio, you know, working the boards, he wasn't even on air, and I guess he was a pretty good disc jockey in his day, but really went to the programming side, determined what was going to be on the station, and he made the audacious decision, I want to say it was late 50s, around 1960, to switch WDRC, the oldest station in Connecticut, from a CBS affiliate with you know, standard names like Arthur Godfrey and the Gunsmoke series. And he just pulled the plug on all of them and said, we're going with rock and roll. People at first thought, oh my goodness, what a gamble. And he pulled it off, didn't he?
1: That's right. Charlie Parker is really regarded as one of the geniuses in Connecticut radio and probably in radio nationwide. He became known nationwide. In the late 50s, radio networks up to that time used to provide full-service programs all day long. If you tuned into WTIC or WDRC or some of these other stations, they would get things from the CBS network, the NBC network, or whatever. There would be entertainment shows, and there were soap operas, and they had the same kind of things that ended up on TV. There were comedy and variety shows and mystery shows and things like that. Well, in the late 1950s, television was beating down the radio networks People were, you know, not listening to the radio to hear comedy and drama and things like that. People wanted music. And so the radio networks had really scaled back to just providing hourly news and a few other features. And so Charlie Parker looked around and said, hey, we've got to change. we got to do something different in order to hold on to listeners and get new listeners. And so he came up with a concept called Radio Fun. You're going to tune in. You're going to hear some music you like. You're going to hear some fun people talking. It's going to make you laugh. You're going to enjoy the music. You're going to have a good time when you tune in. That was his whole idea, and it was a great success. You had the top 40 music. Top 40 at that time, you could have something by the Beatles, and you might also, in the same top 40 lineup, you might have something from Frank Sinatra in there or Tony Bennett. It was much different than you know what you would call the the hit stations these days. He recruited a bunch of DJs. The initial group in 1960 was called the Friendly Five. You know, he brought that whole format, that Radio fun format, and it was just a great success. The only thing that DRC had trouble competing with, of course, was Bob Steele at WTIC in Hartford, who was, you know, well-known nationwide and had been on the air since 1936.
0: Now, if you Dial back about 20 years before Charlie Parker made this decision back when radio was still king and TV hadn't broken in, 1938 in particular, there was another genius by the name of Orson Wells who decided to play a little game and create a radio theater drama called War of the Worlds where he basically intimated that the Martians had landed in New Jersey and were attacking and it was so well done. That people believed it, and this was broadcast out of Hartford as well, wasn't it?
1: That's right. I think that's probably one of the most famous radio broadcasts in history, and that's correct. It was broadcast on CBS Radio, and the CBS Radio affiliate in Hartford was WDRC. People listening to WDRC heard, some of them heard this and knew that it was just a radio play, but others. You know, if you didn't tune in right at the beginning, you might have thought the Martians were invading, and there was a certain amount of panic, you know, in places all over the country.
0: There was a station at the time in Hartford called WTHT, and if I remember correctly, they were getting several hundred calls per hour with only two or three people there to answer the phones.
1: Yeah, that's right. THT was actually, it was the Hartford Times, which was the afternoon paper in Hartford, and they had their own radio station, and I interviewed a guy, he's since passed away, but a guy named... Al Cohen. He was working there that night. Even though the uh, Orson Welles broadcast wasn't broadcasting on his station, people were calling his station saying, hey, on this other station, I heard this. What's going on? Are the Martians invading? And he and, and I guess one or two other guys were answering the phones that Sunday night. The broadcast was right around Halloween. So that was the idea of it was to kind of give people a little scare at Halloween. But some people got really scared.
0: I can't imagine something like that happening today. Of course, we'd have the internet to take it all out soon, but uh, you just never know. Brandon, as a public service to listeners who may have uh, interest like I do, and it's uh, almost a sickness for me, I'd love to know what call letters on radio stations stand for. I don't know why this is a bug for me, but I, I just love it. So WDRC being, as we've already discussed, the Doolittle Radio Corporation, WTIC
1: that was founded by the Travelers Insurance Companies.
0: And I also learned WICC from listening to your documentary.
1: WICC, that stood for Industrial Capital of Connecticut.
0: Now, WHCN,
1: I want to pause
0: on this one for a second because there's an interesting backstory with HCN as well, which means the Hartford Concert Network. Can you... Quickly explain what the Golden Chain concept was. It started with WBCN in Boston.
1: What happened was there was a gentleman, I believe he was in the Boston area. His name was T. Mitchell Hastings. And he had a dream of having a network that broadcasts classical music on FM up and down the East Coast. So the flagship station of that would be WBCN in Boston, BCN standing for Boston Concert Network, and the idea was they didn't have uh, phone lines between the stations, so the idea was is that you would broadcast to the, your next neighboring station, and it would relay it and rebroadcast it, and that's why they called it the golden chain. So you're relaying the broadcasts to different stations going up and down the coast. So in Providence, they had WXCN, and in Hartford, WHCN, and it was supposed to go down to New York City. WNCN for New York Concert Network.
0: The Golden Chain continued with this relay system to just beyond Washington, D.C. But alas, the network's staying power was not strong enough, and it finally folded, leaving all those individual stations in their cities with their legacy call letters. Wraps up this episode of Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. One last piece of radio trivia you may not know about station call letters. If a station is based east of the Mississippi River, its four call letters begin with a W. If it's west of the river, the station is identified with a K. Therefore, there's WCBS in New York and KCBS in Los Angeles. I want to thank our guest for today's program, Brandon Camp, producer of the 15 hours of documentary footage on the History of Connecticut Radio, available on YouTube. The answer to this week's trivia question, when river pollution was at its worst in Connecticut, which river was considered the most heavily polluted of them all? The answer, the Naugatuck River. It received the waste from brass, copper, and other industrial operations along its 40-mile stretch, as well as all the sewage. Well, next week on Amazing Tales CT, we're going to take a look at how river pollution got so bad and how the turnaround to clean it all up got underway. Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path is a production of True North Associates, LLC. This is Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy.